listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. I am here with Lauren, Um, not physically. Hi. (laughs) We are recording um, remotely, but we're finally doing an episode together again, so this is exciting. And today, we are talking about teaching grammar. We've been talking about this a lot lately because we've done a couple of webinars on grammar teaching. And uh, we have a new blog post that just came out on Friday, all about grammar. Um, So this is something that we've been thinking a lot about and something that we've noticed new teachers really tend to struggle with. For some reason, grammar tends to be the most intimidating type of lesson for teachers to teach Um, and often one of the most intimidating types of lessons for students um, to learn. So in this episode, we want to bring you six tips, some of our favorite tips for teaching grammar lessons. Yeah, great. I was thinking too, you know, as you're talking about that, that, you know, teachers struggle and it's not necessarily because they didn't learn grammar. You know, a lot of us learned something along the way. We learned how to write papers and we learned how to speak properly. But I think, you know, the truth is we, we didn't learn grammar the way our students learned grammar. And so it, when we it, when we set up a grammar lesson, it can be sometimes really overwhelming mm-hmm. to know if we're doing it right or not. So I, I really love these six tips that we put together. And I think that um, I, I think that our listeners will love them, too. So uh, let's get started without further ado. Um, I think that Shannon's got the first tip right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So our first tip for teaching grammar is to set context. So just to clarify that, context is not the grammar that you're teaching. Uh, Let's say, for example, I'm teaching a grammar lesson on the present perfect. The present perfect is not my context. (laughs) Context is really just a fancy way of saying the topic or the theme of the lesson and also the situation in which the grammar might occur. So again, if we take our example of the present perfect, that's my grammar point. Um, But the context is going to be whatever situation I might use the present perfect in. So we often use the present perfect. It's that if you're not familiar with it, it's that structure have done something. So I, I have recorded a podcast episode. I have been to Hungary. I have never tried kimchi. I don't know. Um, So we tend to use the present perfect that have done something structure to talk about kind of general life experiences. So when I'm thinking about how to set context for my lesson, that's one direction I could go. I want to think about, okay, what's a situation in which we want to talk about different experiences? Um, The first thing that comes to mind for me right away is to talk about traveling. So You know, you can think of a lot of situations where you might want to talk about experiences with traveling. Have you been to this country? I have been here. I haven't been here. So traveling then could become my context. Um, And it's important to set context for a couple of reasons. First, because it makes the lesson more interesting. Um, One of my pet peeves is when teachers begin a lesson by saying, 
Uh, okay, everybody, today we're going to learn grammar. Or today uh, we're going to learn the present perfect. Same. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> if we, we mentioned that, you know, grammar lessons tend to be one of the lessons, uh, the lesson type maybe that students are intimidated by as well. So if I'm a student in this class, I'm already thinking that, you know, grammar is hard, grammar is boring. And then the first thing the teacher says is today we're going to learn grammar. I am probably instantly not excited about this class. Um, so I think starting the lesson by saying today we're going to learn grammar or today we're going to learn XYZ structure, um, you're really missing a golden opportunity to engage your students off the bat. And instead, you're risking kind of isolating them right off the bat, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But instead, if I start the lesson, you know, who likes to travel? Think about the last place you traveled to. That's a lot more engaging. It's also a lot more personalized for the students. Yeah. Um, Lauren, any other reasons context is important? I feel like, yeah, to add on to what you said also, it, it helps students connect the language that they're going to learn with their personal experience. And, you know, we don't carry grammar around in our brains like a little filing cabinet. It's not like we have, you know, slots labeled like present perfect continuous and the past perfect or whatever. We have our brains arrange uh, information in experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, much like we, we learned our first language, we learned, you know, we learned language through experience through experiencing different situations with our parents and our siblings. Um, that's the same for students. And so if we can activate those experiences, they're more likely to remember the grammar. Yep, absolutely. So just saying the present perfect, you know, that in and of itself really doesn't make any sense. That doesn't mean anything. No. Exactly. exactly. <clears throat> yeah, it only means something when we put it into the situation um, in which we just happen to use it to talk about life experiences. Yeah. Um, so by setting that context, even before you say a word about the grammar, right? When we're setting context, we don't even need to mention the grammar, honestly, at this point. That's going to come later in the lesson. That, that will just sort of happen naturally as we progress through the stages mm -hmm. of the lesson. Um, but we need to set that context first so that by the time we do get to the grammar, there's already a situation established in which the grammar makes sense and in which the grammar is relevant. And it, you have that buy-in factor, too. Like, yes. who wants to learn grammar if, if you don't know what situation in which you're going to use it? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And if you have that that beginning question in the lead-in, like, okay, everybody, who likes to travel? Talk to your partner about all the places you've traveled. And then the students begin to talk to each other, and they're saying things like, oh, yes, I go to China last year. Um, I went to France many times. Right. Um, then, okay, yeah, they're using it incorrectly. That's fine. You're going to get to the, the part where you teach them and correct them later on. Um, but you have now just proven how valuable your lesson is um, in the first Absolutely. five minutes. And it's a good way to gauge, too, you mm -hmm. know, how much they need to learn. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Great. Okay, so the first tip was to set context, which is the topic, not the grammar itself. Um, Lauren, what have we got for tip number two? Tip number two is my favorite of our tips. I thought um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone who knows me knows that I, I love adding a visual element uh, to my lessons. So tip number two, using the whiteboard um, effectively. So that includes um, uh, coming up with a board plan before your lesson um, and doing something we call color coding. So let's take them um, in turn. So the first thing... Uh, Coming up with a board plan, 
I used to think wasn't that important. I was like, whatever, I'll just write some stuff on the board, you know, and the students, you know, will copy it down in their notebooks or whatever. But the truth is, um, I've come to realize that the whiteboard is the most underutilized tool in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, students need to see the language that they're learning. And so it's so important that we get it on the board. Mm-hmm. But very often what happens without a board plan is that we sort of haphazardly put some stuff up on the board and then we erase it or we, you know, we, we hang a, a picture over it or whatever. So I found that coming up with a board plan actually really helps me look at the language that I'm going to teach before I teach it um, and come up with a plan uh, with how to present it in a way that is um, visually attractive and also um, uh, encourages students to sort of to also write it down in an an ordered way. Mm -hmm. So So interesting. It sounds like what you're saying is that planning planning your board making your board plan it doesn't just help you actually think about the visuals of the lesson I mean it absolutely does but additionally it sounds like you're saying it also helps you just prepare like okay what do I need to tell students about this grammar because you have to lay it out and it sort of makes your brain think about it that way Absolutely. And, you know, I actually, I do my board plans in color. So that might, you know, that might be a little bit too much mm. for people, but there's, there's a reason why. So I do it in the same colors that I use on the board. So if you can imagine your board in sort of three sections, right? The middle section is the largest. So the largest rectangle. And then what I usually do is leave two columns on the sides for other things that might come up in the lesson, like random vocabulary that students ask about or whatever. And so, um, you know, as in the first deck that you were talking about, Shannon, setting context, I might have, you know, a picture or something like that up on the board for the first stage of the lesson. Mm -hmm. Well, if I've left sort of these columns off to the side, I can move my pictures to those non-working spaces and keep the middle of my board open for the language that's going to come up. Mm -hmm. And so in a grammar lesson, um, whatever comes right after your lead-in, so whether it's uh, giving the students a short diagnostic test or presenting them with um, a, a reading or a listening text in which the grammar is contextualized, I, w- I pull a, a sentence or two out of that stage, so whatever that stage is, and I put it on the board, and I always put it on the board in, in black marker. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds crazy, but there is a method to my madness. <laughs> So whatever the language is goes up there in the center of the board. So still keeping those columns free on the side in the center of the board. And then um, I'm ready to sort of workshop that sentence or work on it with the students, asking them questions about meaning or, you know, pointing out elements of the form and stuff like that. So I always use um, a blue marker for meaning. And I don't always um, need to to use the blue marker. Sometimes I can just uh, ask questions and use questioning techniques to help students understand the meaning of the sentence. But imagine, um, you know, the sentence that you were using before, like, I've, I've been to Paris, right? In that case, I would want to show them, show students in a, in a visual way that I've been to Paris doesn't mean that I, I went there on a specific date in the future, it means that I've been there sometime be- before now. So using bl- my blue marker, I might I might draw a timeline mm-hmm. and show students that uh, I've been to Paris means sometime before now, but a non-specified time in the future. Um, the reason I use a different color is because I feel like it 
uh, it hawks off the, um, the, the board better if I use different colors for different elements of my grammar. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's a tip you gave me. It's like a tip within this tip that I now often tell teachers. Um, I always remember you said that that's one reason like those different colors are going to pop off the board and be more noticeable for your students. But also, if you're somebody who often has trouble remembering all the stuff that you need yeah. to put on the board, like in the moment yep. when you're teaching, yep. If you know that, okay, meaning's blue, form is red, pronunciation's green or whatever. Correct. Then you look at the board and there's blue missing. Uh Uh-oh, did I forget to do meaning? And so it kind of helps trigger your memory of making sure you've covered everything. I love that. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of um, new teachers are a little bit nervous. Like they don't want to, you know, look like they're referring to their notes too much. But what I say is refer to your notes. That's why you have them excuse me, that's why you have them. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I either use a magnet and magnet my my board plan to like the corner of my board, or if it's not a magnetic board, I just tape it to the side and I copy it, you know, it, identically onto the board. So I know that, you know, what I've prepared gets up there. Right. Exactly. And so like you said, I, I tend to use um, green for form and then red for pronunciation. And what I actually still as an experienced teacher, sometimes I'll, my mind rushes ahead to the next stage, you know, when I forget something, if I look quickly back on my board and red is missing, I'm like, Oh wait, I have to stop and do pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it really, it, it has helped sort of center that stage, I think. Yep. So great. And I love the tip about just taping your board planner, putting it, putting it up somewhere in the corner of the board and then just copying it onto the board as you go through the lesson. I think just like you said, a lot of new teachers are, hesitant to really use their notes. But um, remember, you know, if you're listening, nobody is testing you or judging you on your ability to memorize your whole lesson. What the students want is for you to present the information in a way that is clear and comprehensive. They don't care how you're doing that as long as you're able to do that. So use whatever tools you need while you're in front of the class to be able to, to clarify the language confidently. Exactly. So uh, just to summarize quickly, tip number two, we said, you know, using the whiteboard in an effective way includes uh, coming up with some sort of board plan um, ahead of time. Don't be afraid to put that right on the wall next to your board, copy it over, and using what we call color coding, different colors for different um, elements of, of the grammar or the structure that you're teaching. Awesome. Great. So that brings us to tip number three. Uh, So Shannon, what have you got for us for tip number three? So tip number three is closely connected to tip number two. And tip number three is to clarify or do what we were just talking about, where, you know, you're putting sentences on the board and going over meaning, form, pronunciation. So clarify the same examples that were in the diagnostic test or maybe the text earlier in your lesson. Um, So what I'm talking about here are really different stages in a lesson. If you're not super sure about what these are, um, definitely look at our blog. We've got a blog post that just came out yesterday um, on lesson frameworks. And we've also done a couple of webinars on specifically grammar lesson frameworks. Um, But basically, just to give you an overview, in a grammar lesson, the grammar itself that you're teaching is going to come probably from one of two different things. so we talked about the, the first stage in the lesson where we set context. Who likes to travel? Talk to your partner about places that you've traveled. From there in, in this lesson, hypothetical lesson on the present perfect, I can either give the students a worksheet, which is going to be called a diagnostic test, 
And that is going to test basically their ability to use this present perfect structure before I've even taught it. Or I can give them a text, like some kind of written article or maybe um, an audio text where they read or listen to some kind of little story that has a bunch of the present perfect grammar planted in it. So maybe I give them a short paragraph that I've written about the different countries that I have been to in my life or, or something. So since the students are going to have looked at that, they're either going to have read or listened to that text, or they're going to have done that worksheet, which is the diagnostic test, they will have been exposed to a lot of the grammar at this point in the lesson without even realizing it. Uh, remember, in the first couple stages of the lesson, we're not talking about the grammar at all. There's no need for you to even say the words present perfect at this point. Um, so what I want to make sure I do is pull the exact same sentences from that diagnostic test worksheet or from the text and use those to put on my board and then clarify and do everything with them, um, Lauren, that you just talked about. Right. And the reason for that is because, I mean, if you don't, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's a bit disjointed and you're wasting your material, basically. Like if I, if I make the students do this whole diagnostic test worksheet, on the present perfect. So they've done that exercise alone, they've talked about it with their partner, and then I go over the answers with the class. And then I turn around and say, okay, now look at these three totally different sentences right. in the present perfect. What is the point of that, <laughs> right? Like they haven't had a chance to, to analyze those sentences yet and really think about them. Whereas with the sentences that were on the diagnostic test, like they've really had a chance to process those. So take your diagnostic test, for example, once you've finished going over the answers, pull a couple of those sentences and get those exact sentences on the board, then get into your meaning, form, pronunciation. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I feel like also like not using the, the text or the test is, is just such a wasted opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like, but you know, the, the book has done a pretty good job of setting up the context here, so why not use it? Exactly. You know, or if you if you don't like the context, well then we'll switch it. So don't use that that text or that test, right? Right, right, exactly. Then, you know, if you have different examples that you want to be the ones that you put on the board and clarify, then make sure those examples you then turn around and plant those into the diagnostic test yep. or the text. Yeah. Change exactly. change the material that the sentences are coming from. Yep. And I think um yeah, that's just a a big mistake that new teachers make and it's not like it's horribly detri detrimental to the lesson if they're still you know using the framework and presenting the grammar and clarifying it it just means you have to do so much more work like you're not making your material work for you as much exactly. as you can like you might as well get as much mileage out of it as you possibly can yeah agreed um, okay, so tip number three was to use the same examples in your clarification on the board, those same examples that were in earlier stages of the lesson, the diagnostic test or the text, for example. Um, Lauren, what do you have for tip number four? All right, so tip number four actually brings us to the next stage of the lesson. So once you've, you've gotten those uh, examples from your test or your text on the board, um, this is a review for some of you who have done your CELTA. For others, it might be new. When we, when we look at the sentence on the board, we 
want to analyze it with students and we want to analyze it in three ways. We want to look at the meaning of the sentence or the grammar. So past perfect, you know, I've been to Paris. When? I'm not sure. Was it be sometime before now? Yes. And we look at the form. So I have been using have plus what we call the past participle, the third form of the verb. So go went gone. Gone is the past participle. See saw seen. Seen is the past participle. Um, and also pronunciation. Um, so having students uh, listen to you say the grammar and then having them repeat it. What I've seen with a lot of teachers who are just starting out is that sometimes um, because of, you know, whatever, you know, you, you have a lot planned for the beginning of the lesson or whatever, uh, lessons can get what we call a little bit top heavy. So the, the beginning of the lesson can, can go a little bit longer um, than, than necessary or than desired. And so you get to the stage of your lesson where you're going through the meaning and you're going through the form and you kind of look up at the clock and you're like, oh no, like I'm running out of time. I need to kind of move this lesson along mm -hmm. so students have enough time for the next, you know, practice stages. And so I've seen several times uh, where teachers just completely skip pronunciation because mm -hmm. they're like, well, I don't have time to get to that. Well, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not that important. So my, my tip number four is that pronunciation is just as important as meaning and form. And there are several reasons why. First of all, for anyone who's ever played an instrument, um, <laughs> so I took piano lessons when I was a kid, and I found it really annoying that my teacher had me practicing scales. I was like, but I want to learn songs. Why am I practicing scales? Um, until I was older, you know, did I realize that, um, well, practicing scales helps with what we call muscle memory, right? And it helps uh, on a piano, it helps you remember without looking where to put your hands. Uh, the same thing with pronunciation. So pronunciation helps our students get their mouths around those new sounds. So not every sound in English exists in other languages. Um, off the top of my head, I think of the TH sound, the th sound, um, which is so hard for our students to, to pronounce, if, especially if it doesn't exist in their languages. So pronunciation helps them uh, get their mouths around those new sounds and build up their muscle memory. Um, if anyone here speaks another language or has learned another language, you might have um, had the same experience as, as I did. I, I um, lived in Romania at the beginning of my career and I learned Romanian. And now, you know, nearly 15 years later, if I have a conversation in Romania, Romanian, after I've had the conversation, I think, oh, my mouth is so tired, like my jaw hurts <laughs> because I've, I'm accessing different muscles, you know, that I don't have to use when I speak English. So that's the number one, um, you know, uh, reason we, we stress um, pr working on pronunciation with students. The second reason is actually that studies have shown that, that saying and, uh, or listening to and repeating grammar helps move the, the language from short-term memory into long-term memory. So basically working on pronunciation with your students helps two types of memory, muscle memory, and then moving it from short-term to long-term memory, which is super, super important. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really great point. And I would even add one more reason for focusing on pronunciation. Um, 
which is if you think about the meaning and form part of the clarification, you're teaching students, let's go with form. So you're teaching students the formula, let's say, for the present perfect. So as Lauren said, that would be, you know, the subject, I, um, have or has, and then the past participle of the verb. So I have been to Paris. And we're looking at it just like that with the students. I have been to Paris. Well, when they go and have a conversation with somebody in the real world, as native speakers, we're not walking around usually saying, I have been to Paris, right? We're saying, I've been to Paris. I've been to Paris. (laughs) And so students learning, I have been to somewhere, that's not what they're going to hear. So I think it actually helps a lot with comprehension, recognizing the grammar out in the real world. If you've done some really natural modeling and drilling of the pronunciation okay even though it looks like i have been to paris here's how we really pronounce it model and drill that and then students are going to be more prepared when they encounter this structure in their daily lives absolutely um there at one of the language schools that i worked at um several years ago there was a Starbucks close to the school that we frequented. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often I was in line in back of students and you could sort of see them struggle, you know, early on in, uh, in their learning process, you could see them struggle with ordering and with baristas because the baristas would be like, can I help you? Right. You know, the, students would, <laughs> the students were expecting, you know, can I help you or mm-hmm. may I help you or whatever? Um, you know, and then the, the baristas would go on to be like, y'all set, you know, student, <laughs> the poor students. So I think that it's actually a really valid point is that, you know, they need to survive out in the real world. Not everything is, is printed out for them in mm-hmm. their daily interactions. Uh, that's a really, really good point. Um, so just in summary, tip number four, pronunciation is just as important as meaning and form. Yep. Uh, moving on to tip number five, back to Shannon. Okay, so tip number five brings us to the next stage in our lesson. So typically after we do everything we've just talked about, we cover meaning, form, and pronunciation um, with the sentences that we've put on the board. We now need to give the students some practice with this new grammar. And typically the next the next stage involves the first practice activity that the students will do, where we give them probably some kind of worksheet or exercise that's going to check that they can now use this grammar correctly. So it might be fill in the blank, they might have to rewrite some sentences. But again, if we're teaching this hypothetical lesson on the present perfect, it's going to cause the students to, or this practice activity is going to require the students to try to, to write sentences or use the present perfect. Um, so course books will often have these exercises done for you, like a fill in the blank or, you know, rewrite these sentences in the present perfect, something like that. And a mistake that a lot of new teachers make is just assuming that they're going to know the answers to the practice activity. Um, or even if they do know all the answers easily, that they're going to be prepared to explain those answers when they go over them with the students in class. And that is not always the case. (laughs) So our tip number five is to make sure that you actually do the practice activities in advance of your lesson so that you understand what the correct answers are and you're prepared to justify them to the students. So you can anticipate questions that the students might have, difficulties that the students might have, and you're going to be able to clarify those answers in a way that is effective. Absolutely. Yep. Um, So those practice activities, you know, if we have a a worksheet and you have the students do the worksheet alone and then they check in pairs and then finally 
you go over the answers. So you elicit from them, okay, what's the answer to number one, number two, etc. You want to be able to get those answers on the board as you go over them. So students have a visual record of what the correct answers are. And then you want to make sure that if the students have questions about it, and you know there's going to be at least that one student who's like, teacher, I don't understand why is number three this way and not that way or whatever it is. Um, If you haven't thought about that in advance, you're going to stumble there because it's really hard. Even as a native speaker, it's really hard to just come up with a good reason on the spot if you haven't thought about it. And so when I'm observing lessons, what I often see happen is teachers will kind of it's like a deer in the headlights effect where they kind of get swayed by the student's question and they start overanalyzing until the grammar doesn't even make sense anymore. And they'll say things like, Oh, um, Ooh, I don't know. You know, yeah, maybe you could say it the way you thought. I'm not sure when actually it doesn't work. Um, and so, however, if you have gone over the answers first, You've thought through every single answer on that worksheet in the preparation for teaching before you even teach it. And you've thought, okay, so I see here in the answer key that number one, the answer is this. How do I justify that? So my tip is while you're doing this, imagine that one student, either the student who's just a little bit weaker or the student who's just a little bit more confrontational and and wants to question you on every single answer. Imagine for every single one that student raising his or her hand and saying, but why? I don't understand why. And you have to justify it. So prepare in advance how you're going to justify it. And often that will involve looking back at the rules that you will have taught in the previous stage. So that stage that Lauren was describing where you're going over the meaning, you're asking the students questions about the meaning, you're going over the form, you're going over the pronunciation. Go back to that stage in your planning and think, okay, how can I use the information that's here that I will have taught to justify what the answers are on this exercise? Absolutely. You know, and also you can just... You can just write the answers right on um, the same handout that you've given the students Mm -hmm. so that you're not fumbling around. So when they say number six or whatever it is, you know, that they need more clarification on that, you've got it right in front of you. Yes. Good point. So, you know, write your answers. And also, if you need to leave a little sticky note or something right on that sheet of paper with, you know, like little justifications or, you know, a little help that you've anticipated, Mm -hmm. you know, just have it right there in front of you is a really good idea. Absolutely. And this will get easier and easier. I mean, I, I know this sounds like a lot of preparation that's going into teaching this one lesson, um, but this will get easier and easier. Eventually, you'll have to do this less and less as you become more comfortable with the grammar yourself. But I think especially when you're just starting out, doing this is so helpful um, because it's going to make you look more credible in front of your students. It's going to make you feel a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable, and it's just going to make your lessons go more smoothly. Yeah, and some of the I think some of the previous tips actually that we've given are are kind of time savers too because what mm-hmm. we're saying is like don't reinvent the wheel. Use the examples yeah. from the diagnostic test or the text. Like don't, you know, you don't need to go out of the outside of the course book, you know. You can just adapt these things. Yeah. That's so, really true. You know, you don't have to overcomplicate it. You know, as you gain experience and you want to start creating your own materials and stuff, that's fine, but like very often what's in the you can use what's in the course book or it can be very easily adapted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Uh, okay, so to recap, tip number five was to make sure you actually do the practice activities yourself 
um, you are confident in what the answers are, and you have already thought through how to justify each of the answers in case the students have questions about them in class. So that brings us to our final tip. Lauren, what is your tip number six? All right, so tip number six is to make your free year practice as natural as possible. So the free year practice stage comes after the stage that Shannon was just talking about, which was controlled practice, doing some sort of you know, fill-in-the-blank activity or an activity with specific answers. Free year practice gives students the opportunity to use the grammar um, in, well, what it says, in a freer way um, to practice fluency. Um, so a lot of times if you're looking at the a page in the course book um, very often there's something in there that can be used or um, adapted uh, for for freer practice so if you like scan down to the bottom of a course book page and there's an activity labeled speaking and it's some somehow you know recycles the grammar that you've just taught that's that's probably the freer practice activity but what i've found in course books is that these practice activities can be somewhat canned mm -hmm. because if you imagine if you imagine you're a course book creator you know you're sitting a course book creator doesn't know your students you know they don't know they don't know you they don't know what you've done with your students or you know uh, who your students are um they can just sort of create an activity that they think is is you know as good as possible for the you know general population of people that are using the book so my advice is to adapt practice activities to, to mimic real life. Uh, so for example, if in the course book there is a role play, I've found in a lot, in a lot of my classroom experience that students are a bit resentful sometimes of doing role plays just straight out of the book as though, oh, what, like you want us to pretend that I'm a doctor and this person's <laughs> a patient or whatever. But I've, I, taken the same exact activity and just adapted a little bit to my students and instead of doing it directly out of the course book maybe put their roles on roll cards and distributed them and all of a sudden they're participating more because they feel like they've been given an active role in uh in the freer practice rather than just you know reading out some script from the course book um so really look at look at your students look who they are and look at the things that they're interested in and go ahead and adapt those practice activities to mimic real life activities so that students don't think that they're just like, you know, wasting the last 10 minutes of the class or whatever, or that you can't think of anything better to do than, you know, just, oh, whatever this role play is in the book. Um, and so that they, they see that, you know, they can leave the classroom and go and use what they've just learned in real life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think to build on that a little bit, um, you want to give your practice activity or for your practice activity something that we call a communicative goal. Um, so something that the students are trying to achieve with the language that's beyond just using the language in and of itself. Um, so for example, if we go again back to our present perfect lesson, I could just say for my freer practice, okay, turn and talk to your partner about um, food that you've eaten. Uh, food, right. different, like crazy food that you've tried. Okay, cool. The students are hopefully going to do it because I told them to. <laughs> um, but if I want to sort of kick it up a notch and give them more of a need to use the language, I can add something like, okay, you need to talk to each person in the class about, you know, different 
maybe strange food or interesting food or food from other countries that you've tried and try to find at least two people that have tried some of the same foods as you and find two people that have tried something crazy that you've never eaten before. Absolutely. So now the students have this sort of motivation. There's a goal. They have to find these two people who they have something in common with and find these two people that they're, you know, surprised by something that they've tried um, beyond just, I need you to talk about this thing. (laughs) Right. And if you can like, so you have to really think ahead in your lesson too, right? So like what comes after this, you know, for your practice that the students have done, you know, you don't just say, okay, well, well done, you know, that's the end of class, goodbye. Like there's going to be some sort of feedback on the task. So like if you've done just some sort of canned role play from the book, like what's the feedback on that? Okay. So did everyone do the exercise? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, versus when you add that communicative goal, that communicative element, everyone sits down and you say like student X, like, you know, who, you know, who in the class, uh, you know, ate the same strange thing that you've eaten or, or whatever mm-hmm. the communicative goal is. And then it becomes an actual discussion exactly. rather than just like canned feedback on a task. Exactly. Yep. So it gives you as the teacher a jumping off point to do this feedback, which is really helpful. Right. So just to summarize, tip number six is to make for your practice as natural as possible by adding that communicative element, that communicative goal into it. Um, and feel free to adapt your practice activities um, that are in the book to in order to mimic uh, real life as closely as possible. Yes. Great. So we hope this was helpful. That was our list of six tips to improve your grammar teaching. Um, If you are interested in this topic, we just finished, unfortunately, so you missed it if you didn't know about it already, a series of uh, the second, I guess, in our series of webinar workshops on how to teach grammar. But definitely stay tuned because we will have more to come. Um, And if you're really, really interested, send us an email info at tevilhorizons.com and we can try to hook you up with the link to watch some of those videos. Um, If grammar is something that you are not terribly confident in yourself, as many native speakers are not, so if you're not really very confident in your own knowledge of grammar, like what the present perfect tense is, what all of these other tenses are, and if that's tripping you up potentially as you're trying to teach grammar lessons, we have an online course. Um, It is completely self-paced, completely online, and really we think engaging and effective called Be Your Own Grammar Guru. So it is an online course that we designed as teachers and CELTA trainers specifically for ESL teachers. So it takes just the grammar that you need to know for your classroom and breaks it down for you in a way that is clear and in a way that is fun. Uh, We do videos on meaning. We actually give you some of those questions, concept checking questions we alluded to that you could ask your students. Uh, We break down the form. We give you advice about the pronunciation and what specifically students need to know to pronounce the target language, the grammar that you're teaching naturally. And we also give you some ideas for practice. Um, So Lauren and I are really excited about this. Um, You can check it out by going to our website. I will put a link directly to the course in the show notes for this episode. So Lauren, anything to add? Uh, Nothing to add about grammar specifically, but I just wanted to say that, um, you know, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Like, Chen and I wouldn't be here without all of you, and 
thank you so 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 much for your support like that I I had a realization the other day that like I I'm, I'm doing what I love and I feel so fortunate for it um so you know thank you all so much for for listening and for your support and uh do you know as Shannon said like if if you've got questions or if you have ideas for future episodes or blog posts or whatever please feel free to email us because we're always looking to to meet your needs definitely Uh, we're so so happy to be able to do to provide these resources for you definitely as Lauren said that is the whole reason why we do this we love doing this we love being able to answer your questions and give you advice that you actually find useful for your teaching so absolutely leave us a comment on this episode below email us reach out to us on social media however you can connect with us we would more than love to hear from you so thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next week thanks everyone bye thanks for listening your support means so much to us feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. Bye.